Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Mind podcast. Here on Mind Your Mind podcast, we talk about life, mind, universe, everything, and literally nothing at all. And we do that in an undisturbed, unscripted, and unprepared way. As always, I'm with Hannah Malik. Hi, Anna. Hi, Ozan. And we are with a special guest today. But before I introduce our guest, I'd like to start with a quote. It goes like this. It is not an absence of thought or memory, but the presence of a thought reality that became a partition between us and everything else. This partition is identity. Now, this is a glimpse of the core of the topics we're going to talk about today. It is from an amazing book called I Am, a guide to transforming reality and creating the life you want. We have the author of that book today with us. She's one of the pioneers of the identity work, and she's bringing so serene vibes to the podcast, and you're about to hear why. Please welcome, Anya Lincoln. Hi, guys. Hi, Muzan. Hi, Hannah. Welcome, Anya. And uh, we are so privileged to have you here. I'm sure our listeners are going to be superly benefited from what you have to tell us, and this is going to be an interesting session. So looking forward to Yeah, look, it's it's true, true. We had an initial discussion with Anya, and even there she said so many things. It blew my mind. She's full of great and different ideas, and you're about to see why. And I want to start with actually I am. It has really interesting content on on the identity work and what identity is in general, along with uh, other topics such as oneness and so on. Can you introduce this book and the whole concept to the listeners? So the book is kind of a map of how our personal reality functions. And it might be a, a broad statement, but it is um, about how we create our reality from the center that I call identity, the I am. One's, it's sort of a, a focal point of the one's creative energy that starts with the thought about the self. And then I go on to describe how this identity, how this understanding of self um, expands into the actual reality that a person finds themselves in and how this identity gets reflected in, in the life a person is living or um, how it behaves why uh, our reality looks to us, you know, um, a certain way, why it behaves a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. So this is probably sounding really confusing, but by laying out this map, I sort of offer a way of like to do something really practical, which is change your life. And I address an issue of why it is so hard sometimes to change things that we really, really want to change. And you know, one of the issues with with that is the fact that because we see ourselves in the reality we live in, but we don't realize that 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 what we see and what we fight with is connected to our sense of self, we end up recreating the same reality over and over again because all of our action is essentially a reaction to the same thing we've already created. And, and this is not a new idea, right? That, that our thoughts about self are important and that they create the reality we live in. And then, but, but where people I found go a little bit off track is they start looking at their thinking about themselves. Like if I say, Ozan, you know, who are you? You'll tell me, you know, I'm a pretty chill person and I'm an engineer or I'm this and that, or henna, you know, uh, people start describing their thoughts. Mm-hmm. But I realize that the identity is not found in one's thoughts. It's found in the actual fabric of reality one lives in. Like if, if you were to take, uh, you know, a silent movie of somebody's life and ask a question, who is the person that this life is about? Mm-hmm. That would be pointing closer to the identity, to what this person is thinking or assuming about their nature, then anything they think 
whether they're confident or they're not confident or they're, you know, whatever it is. If you look at what, how they are acting, what they are attracting, you know, I don't always like the word attracting, but it works, you know, you can sort of decipher and track back of who would this life that we're looking at make sense to. And that's identity. And it's kind of a, a cool thing that I see as the core of everything. Anya, I think that was a very beautiful explanation to uh, start with. But uh, there's one thing that comes in my mind while you were speaking, I was thinking. You said that we have a notion of our of how we are, what we are. We have uh, a personality of ours in our own eyes. You know, if we imagine ourselves to be something based on our thoughts, but probably we are not that. We are not even 1% of that. And what we are actually in real world is very different from what we imagine ourselves to be. How do you think thoughts influence the reality? And vice versa, how reality influences our thoughts. So how the thoughts influence reality and how does the reality influence our thoughts? Well, um, at first, I would say we have to look at what kind of thoughts we're talking about. When, you know, in the book, I talk about a thought as sort of this cornerstone of creating reality because I don't have a... A scientific description of this, but the way I imagine it, right, is that there is the 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 thought world is is complex and has layers, and one of the top layers is the actual thinking that we have, our personal thinking. So that is the thinking that I would say we can talk about in response to your question. So, in this very very top layer, I mean, obviously our Thoughts and attitudes determine the way we respond to, you know, to our environment. And then they could possibly determine how we choose to behave. You know, for example, if we're in a situation, our boss is rude to us or somebody is interfering with what we want to do, we could um, consciously choose a response, right, to, to this particular situation. Even if we're being triggered, we could say, we could recognize it and we could say, okay, I could see that I'm being triggered. This is a fight or flight state of mind. I'm not going to, it's not going to be most productive. So in that sense, in the very top layer, in the very shallow way, thoughts and reality do, do interact in sort of a dialogue way. But what I write about and what I noticed is that there are certain thoughts and they go really, really deep. Oh, and sorry, I want to say that um, the second part of your question is important too, right? Like the reality that one finds itself in. And when we talk about reality, it's the stuff outside of our head, right? Like it could be even our body, a, a, a stuff outside of our sense of self. And it could start with our face, for example. You could look in the mirror and say, I'm not as pretty as other people. Or I am not as you know, able-bodied able as other people. And so then this particular reality, you could say, starts influencing our thinking. And then that thinking becomes a sort of... Um, starting point for, for all of our actions. So if a parent tells a child, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. Um, or if they tell them, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart, you know, then this child is going to internalize something about themselves and then, right, then create their relationships from that place. But that is like the top layer, like I said. What I found exciting, and I found it through complete experimentation. This was, this was something I sort of said, okay, let's assume that thought actually creates reality, not just influences it in, term, in terms of experience or action. So whether out or in, right? Like whether I'm experiencing it or I am making the world experience me, right? 
So, um, and then I started saying, okay, um, and this was, I described this in the book, but I had a few uh, interesting events happen side by side where some people started coming into my life that were, I like I did not pre-select them at all, but they were all fitting the same pattern, like same, almost like same body, same personality, same everything. And then at the same time, people, uh, a person that I described in the book, but it, there were actually a few of these events, started dating. Um, it was all around dating for some reason, dating these people online. And they were exact replicas of people they've dated before. And I knew because I'm a person, you know, I've been, I know their history, right? So I started wondering, what is it in us or in our reality that weaves this web, so to speak, that seems to catch the same fish, right? The same people, the same experiences. Could it be true that, you know, some thought that isn't a conscious thought is at the core of this programming of this matrix basically or of this hologram like that it is in everything mm -hmm. because what i've noticed is the people that i describe in the book including the woman that i actually write about and then other friends i noticed that it's not that their uh circumstances kept repeating right but also their experience or, or who they found themselves to be in that experience also kept repeating. Like no matter what their life affirmed to them that, you know what, you are not that great or you're unlovable or uh, you need uh, 17 different women to make you feel like you exist in the world, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, it kept repeating. And so then I said, okay, let's not go in the direction of looking to on the outside for solutions. Let's see if there is something on the inside. And, you know, and then I started experimenting with different things, right? On me, on myself, I, my own guinea pig, like weird stuff started happening. Mm -hmm. You know, after I would hit this realization about myself and it, you know, it never has to be, this is running a little bit ahead, but if one does the identity work, you don't have to go all the way. You just have to go as deep as you go, right? And then, um, but I would get to this place that I've never seen before. And I thought, oh my God, I'm operating as the person that thinks love is outside of them. Like, what does this mean about me? Well, this means that I have like, this is a quality that is absent or it's outside or it's, you know, and, and I just let it go uh, as a thought. I thought, well, who would I be without this thought? I used um, a question that is used by another spiritual teacher, Byron Katie. And um, I even wrote to her and I said, hey, Katie, could I use your question? <laughs> and she wrote back and she said, yes, you know, go for it. And um, so when I would detach from this, thought that I carried with me, I would have this experience of lightness and connectedness, almost like a layer of film or something sticky was here. And I had no idea it was, or, or like my shoes had weights in them. And all of a sudden they got removed and I'm like running, you know, um, I have this lightness of being, but then what I started noticing that it did not end with my experience. Without me doing anything, I would stop meeting, you know, this was witnessed over time, but I would stop meeting a certain type of person. Or, you know, I, I all of a sudden would connect with something I really wanted. And then that led me to believe that the thought the, the, the deep thoughts that we assume or, or incorporate into the very fabric of who we are do more than interact with the reality. They actually kind of make it. They create it. A little bit of a long answer. That's actually quite deep stuff. Like that's a thing to 
stop the pause the podcast and think about it and i think everybody can get the answer by experimenting and looking inside just like you were saying Absolutely. there's not too much science behind it yet. there are a lot of researches about this one so many psychologists working on this but there is not it's not like physics where you can clearly say what kind of equation you can use on the mind and identities and emotions and core beliefs how they are working and what really struck me when i was uh, checking your book was that it's so similar to the to the concept that i have found experimenting on myself not by reading not by researching i did that was after i did the experimentation on myself and very similarly i explained it as getting rid of the bricks this core beliefs that just hold you down about who you are like i am not a confident person that's a belief that builds right inside your mind and whatever you do that belief will be there and you will act like a not not confident person so this belief is merged with the emotion and when they link with each other with the emotion then they create thoughts and the thoughts create another thought basically it's a whole thought chain and as you mentioned eventually thoughts create action how you interact with with outside and mm -hmm. i found the same thing when i realized that the patterns as you mentioned i was having this problem for example i was a total control freak i was so much control freak i was having problem with everyone every workplace I, i'm a quitter I, i quit workplace and find a new one and i realized same guys are coming at me you know why do you try to control me I quit uh, another position, same guy trying to control me. Then I realized, oh, maybe it's me. Then I found this thing. It is actually me acting like a puzzle piece. Identity of what I build in my mind, acting like a puzzle piece and looking for that opposite one to attach to me, which was actually very interesting, especially it's okay when you are the one who are doing the action. It's easy to understand because there is a direct relationship between your thoughts and your actions. But it's amazing to see your own beliefs about who you are can impact others' actions towards you as well. And that was a mind-blowing part for me. Absolutely. That's the stuff. And like you said, it is available to everyone. It's not neurosurgery, <laughs> although it kind of is. A little bit on on a level, but it's not. I need to cut your brains out to experiment, right? <laughs> yeah, it is, but it is hard stuff. Uh, you know, we, my partner Will and I, every morning we start with coffee and talks about consciousness and insights and oh, you know what I was thinking about at four in the morning, and just yesterday we. Best way to about, wake up. Yeah, exactly. Um, just yesterday I said, you know, I think the reason people don't actually get to this deep stuff or don't solve the big problems is that they have to loop themselves into whatever their inquiry is, whether you are trying to solve the black holes in the universe or, you know, or this consciousness stuff, time and space, most people keep themselves outside of it in whatever, not, not directly, but indirectly, you know, well, I can theoreticize about anything, but please don't touch my own insecurities. I'm, you know, I'm a, like, don't make me jealous. So don't, you know, and, but if you are not afraid of your own experience and you are not afraid to see through it and because you are going to be the source of, of all the insight, whether you're trying to figure out, like one of my clients said, can this identity stuff help with falling, hair that's falling out? <laughs> I was like, Kind of, yeah, I guess, because honestly, if you are not in a terrified state of mind and you are able to be present with a problem for as long as it needs your presence to be solved, you can solve anything in the world. The only reason we are not able to solve problems is because we fidget and we, we kind of wiggle out of it. Like too, it's too uncomfortable. Even if that problem is the discomfort of not knowing, that's the big one for the thinkers, the ones that are trying to figure out the, the, the issues of the universe. As soon as they feel like, oh, like 
this is way past my comfort zone. Like, what if I'm stupid? If your identity is attached to your intellect, then that would be a problem that you will hit when you're trying to fit, figure out an, an intellectual problem. If your identity is, you know, tied to uh, the need for control, right? And that need for control is, is, is tied to something even deeper, like um, control is how you keep power or how you give yourself permission to be in the space or whatever. Uh, or control is a way of protecting yourself. Like you might think you're okay as long as I keep others where I can manage them and see them, see them, you know, so nobody sneaks out and surprises me, right? Then, then that identity will be absolutely playing a role in everything. And then, but one thing to add from the book that I found that was so cool, like it kind of blew my mind at first. And then I was like, of course, it makes sense when people, you know, the wise sages of, you know, the planet say, you know, you are the world, like the world is you. And I thought, well, that's kind of a nice sentiment. You know, the world is you. Okay. Treat your neighbors yourself, like as, you know, Jesus said, like, or whatever. But mm -hmm. then I'm like, oh my God, no, the world really is me because either I am and the world is this dynamic development and expression of this creativity, right? Or and it's also a reflection of, of me, or the world is reflecting right back to me what I am so tightly holding onto, and I don't want to let go. And as I say in the book, the natural state of creativity is to think, 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 and then drop it and drop back into oneness. That's, that's creative process. From one to two, one to two, one to two. And then, but the problem of the dance between one and two is that you actually have to drop the two to get to one. But if one of the things in the two is you, that's me. I can't let go of that. Then, then you're always in duality. You're always in that state where you can never 100% let go of all thinking, including the thinking about yourself and drop into oneness. And then in oneness, state of oneness as experienced by humans, the, the new reality or a new thought or a new solution or an insight, oh my gosh, like we're trying to solve, you know, this, I don't know, this problem, but this problem doesn't even exist. We just, we need to create a flying car instead of trying to solve the road problems, for example, you know? So yeah, it's, it, that's the, that's the practicality of identity is that it, every single person on this planet, either, you know, um, like either reacts and responds and regurgitates the same thing or creates a new, creates something new. And in order to create something new, you have to be able to access that state where the new stuff comes from. Can't agree more with you, Anya. I think uh, we are totally on the same page because uh, this is something that I also mentioned in my book somewhere that it is so important to first acknowledge and accept that you don't know things. And, you know, once the, uh, that acceptance comes, you let go of the fake, the false control that you have been exercising, you've been thinking that you have but it was all in your imagination that, you know, you, the way you perceive the world, the way you see things is actually a reflection of your own thoughts, what you are thinking, how you are taking things to be, how, what beliefs you hold on to. So it's so everyone and everything around you seems to be similar to that aura that you generate. Uh, talking about that, uh, it also brings me to a point where you uh, also mentioned that, you know, at a very impressionable age, when we are very young, children, toddlers, who are at the stage of observing and, you know, being fascinated by their surroundings, that is when they create, uh, they take in a lot, they absorb a lot. 
they see everything they observe everything and they they try to uh, they kind of you know unintentionally uh, bring out a consequence or bring out a reference to it. so so a kind of an inference is drawn in their minds at a very young age and everything that happens henceforth in their life is somewhere attached to that inference you know they map their uh, uh, happenings and occurrences that whatever happens in their life later they kind of map it to their childhood so uh, i think i i would like you to talk about how the identity of children is uh, you know how important it is when when a, when does a child actually starts forming his or her own identity and what role do we as parents or you know anyone around them who is slightly mature than them what role do these people have in uh, shaping that child's identity great question yeah i definitely think that a big chunks of our identity uh, is formed in childhood i think also I am, this is my theory and I'm not attached to it, but I also think this, um, another part of our identity is uh, almost genetic, um, not in, it, unchangeable, not unchangeable at all. But if there were survival fears or there, were, there, were, there was some kind of um, condition, and we always talk about it as a negative condition, but as I later talk and explain, it could also be something that we perceive as positive, but you know, that we absorb. But for simplicity, a baby is born and they are as pure as they can be on this planet, right? And yeah, definitely um, when the vulnerability of the body, so when, when consciousness is born into the flesh, and, and becomes the body, however you wanna imagine that, right? Uh, what, what I see about consciousness is that the consciousness is full and complete and all things at all time. So it is absolutely impenetrable and not vulnerable to anything. The body is, right? So the very first uh, traumas that we get are traumas that where that, vulnerability of physical body is so enmeshed with who we are as a baby right and you know if if things are not safe if things if mom is always upset if dad is always comparing you to the you know to the cousin or you know whatever it is right um in the book i uh, i think there's a there's a, a line where i say that we interpret our world in the only if, if especially if it's unsafe because there's a need to control or to be safe in it right we were trying to make sense of it but the only uh positive feeling in an unsafe situation is a feeling okay i can control something this is why uh you know, Ozan, I think like control is such a, a big issue for people is because control is actually a really, it's a safety thing. But the only way we can control our environment is A, learn how to play by its rules and B, assume as one of the rules of the game, A, like who we are in that envi environment. If I am responsible for my mother's happiness, you know, I incorporate that into my sense of self. And then I go to work. I get good grades. I am better than my sister or brother or whatever. Or I go the other way, you know, screw the world, you know, everything. It, it, it doesn't matter. The assumption is I am someone who has anything to do with another person's feelings or world. Like in, in my mind, I have already built a structure. That's the, the architecture of my world is that in that world, one of the foundations is that I'm responsible for other people, for example, or I am a bad person or I am, you know, a shameful person or whatever. So we interpret our world in the only 
terms that we can understand and control in terms of ourselves. I can't control my mother. I can't control my father. I'm going to assume that I'm bad. And if I'm good, it'll be better. You know, that's, that's one way. I'm not saying that this is, that this works across the board, but this is what I've seen. Why do we interpret the unconsciousness of the world we are entering in terms of us? And that's because if we're going to play the game, if we're going to get the food from this person and the, the shelter from that person and the acceptance of our village, we sort of have to assume um, one of the positions in the game. And it's whatever position we're assigned at the moment until we realize that, that we don't have to. And, and then deeper, if we go deeper, we realize, oh, it's not that we can choose whatever we think of ourselves. We can create a completely different world that does not operate by these rules. And this is where we enter into things like money and cool stuff, like, I don't know, health, like big, big issues like wars. Uh, you know, the, how we're handling the world environment right now, speaking of Ukraine, but just uh, this is, when we realize how much all of this is our creation and how much all of this is either a repetition and a response, this is why we see, I mean, not to go global, but this is why you see a country that touts, for example, I'm from Russia uh, and Russia was so proud of overcoming fascism in World War II not even a hundred years later, they're being blamed with the same thing, right? It is, and not just blamed, they're doing horrible things, right? I'm, I, this, this has been a big personal pain for me. Um, but the point is, I don't, why I don't take sides, not take sides, I definitely could personally take a side in any conflict, but I also see how we collectively has been responding as opposed to completely stepping out and creating something new. This is why when, when, when some alliance is created in response to some war that later acts out of that same old mentality, even though they think they've shifted to the other side of the spectrum, oh, we're not like them at all. Any action taken from without questioning the consciousness and individually it's the identity of each person that is thinking about a problem is going to result in the just regurgitating just spinning the same uh wheel whatever it is so that's kind of exciting and we departed a little bit from children but but the when you talk about responsibility of adult of adults in uh, the life of a child uh, what I just said actually has relevance because if you're witnessing something in the child that you've assumed and, and whatever you're witnessing is not right, like you say, okay, they're thinking they're a bad girl or a bad boy and I need to convince them that they're good. You are actually responding. You're playing into the same, into the same reality that they've already bought into. So the only responsibility of any adult on this planet, whether it's in relationship to a child or relationship to a neighbor's child or to a, their societies to transform themselves. And that's not fantasy because if I use my own reality as my mirror, even a child in front of me, and I don't try to fix them so they can have a better life. And consequently, I will have a better life because I would have taught them and I'm so enlightened and, you know. Um, but use my reality as a mirror to see where am I in this child? Where am I in this country? Where am I Russia? Where am I Ukraine? Where am I United States? Where am I the whole world? You know, whatever it is. Um, and I get to the point where 
I realized, yeah, there is a part of me that is clinging to, to this to, to this idea that somebody's supposed to be good or bad or whatever it is, some paradigm. Then having let go of this, I could be so present with the child that I can become um, a mirror they could see themselves in uh, or they could be loved. Um, one thing that I've noticed, and this was also very anecdotal at first, is that when I have three children, so I have a lot of experience with this, or um, and sometimes I see other people besides my children <laughs> in real world, mostly it's, but the, um, when I have any agenda, and the agenda is always identity, not desire, not pure, like, ah, I would love to go bring this person a pie. But if I want to bring a person a pie to get them to react a certain way or, you know, I'm going to take this child for a walk versus I'm going to take this child for a walk so they could see how loved they are. Um, if there's any agenda, the person that is in your duality da dance will only see the opposite of what they are holding on to, which is in the same reality. Like, you know, whatever it is. Like, if they're thinking they're bad, they will see that you're good. Mm -hmm. They won't see that they're good. You know, but if you've dropped your part of the dance and you're just a clear mirror, they will see what they need to see about themselves in order to transform. And you know, you might, there might be action. This is not devoid of action, not like you're going around in your old zen and like you don't have to do anything, just be transformed light. No, there's a ton of action that is get that gets inspired by it and it uh, by this realization. Then you know you are uh, you know you you might be inspired to speak or to give or to to even uh, set a boundary or even punish, not punish like but like say okay you're grounded <laughs> for this you know when we talk about children but it will never be um it will be something that will emerge from this oneness that you tap into as opposed to a tool to return you to the oneness like many people who try to solve the world and they say okay if we teach everybody about consciousness then we can all be okay. When in fact, what they're doing is they're thinking that they are separate from the world or that they are not the world themselves. And they're projecting yeah. all of the stuff out anyway. So actually the very thought of, uh, you know, teaching everyone of how conscious they can be or yeah. about consciousness is, you know, the opposite of being conscious about your own self. So it's like, you know, uh, the very thought is faulty. Right, right. And then, you know, it's funny that it does because all thought is thought, right? There's no, nothing we can say that's going to be absolutely true all the time. Yes, absolutely. But, but the funny thing that I've noticed, and you guys might be able to relate to this, is that, you know, you, you know, you, you work all this time to let go of this concept, like you said, that to teach people about consciousness or even you know to want to teach everybody about consciousness for example is the way and then when you finally let go of all of it and you finally let go of this idea that you're supposed to know or that you know anything you actually get to a place where you have to teach about consciousness and and you do have to admit that you know something hey I know something hey look I wrote a book so yeah. it's <laughs> it's it's funny but the only way the dance is possible is if you know that you are not your book if mm. you know that you are not your thought that you are somewhere the book comes from but you are not you know that's why when I get like a three-star review with no explanation I'm like dude and then I was like okay that doesn't really matter <laughs> That's the dilemma which accompanies wisdom, I would say. You know, it's the wisest dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> but can I ask about the practicality of this? Like this this oneness 
for example, uh -huh. you are you 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 mentioned perfectly. You are not you are not actually what you're teaching. You are just the way the universe is talking to each other, like uh, different molecules of the same atom. They're eventually the same thing. Who are just thinking by itself. The mm -hmm. oneness that everybody and everything is basically originating from one same consciousness. But then we have the identities, as you mentioned, and how can you reach, how can you experience that, that level of oneness? Do you somehow remove the identity from it or is it a different identity what you obtain as one? Well, I think while we are human, we have to be sort of separate in, in a form just that's how we do things i mean it's not we don't have to be identified with we could be in oneness in our consciousness but until we die we're basically in the bodies and we can hug and kiss or fight or whatever so um so i think there as i say an identity itself it's just a it's a tool of being here it's a temporary limit limitation for a particular purpose for a particular creative purpose and uh you know like a like i say today i'm going to uh paint with acrylic paint and i pick up acrylic paint and for a little bit i have a brush and i have paint and i have canvas i have all my tools and i call myself an artist on instagram you know it's my identity but if i <laughs> but if most of us are not suffering from being somewhat temporarily limited. We're mm -hmm. suffering that we think we are this limitation. And that is the identity we can let go of. This identification when we recognize that the thought is a thought, not reality. That's the uh, steps that lead us deeper into oneness. And from what I have seen because this did not happen to me overnight. There are some people that get enlightened. And I'm not saying I'm enlightened, but I'm saying there's some people that get to places by, you know, they hit their head or something happens and they're all of a sudden, oh my God, you know, the world is me and I'm everything is thought and the world is beautiful and I love everyone. And they're sincere and they talk about it, right? But it didn't happen to me this way. Like I had to actually, what I, I my progress and it keeps going. So far, it's it's like layer by layer by layer by layer. And the the funny thing is though, and I, I I've used this reference many times, but um, it's kind of like a lotus flower in my imagination. Like in the center, you have access to oneness, and and the petals of the flower are are the layers of reality held by together by thought and some thought you have an investment in. And the more you let go of these thoughts that are, that are close to the center, right? Mm -hmm. The more the flower opens up, the more space there is, the more creativity, the more, and, and then you continue experiencing your connection to oneness while also being a human being and not having to be perfect. So it's not like a, uh, you know, you get nothing or everything. Mm -hmm. You can continue undoing the layers of reality that you want to undo while also maintaining this connection to oneness that is obstructed by us mistaking ourselves for our identities. So. Uh, so yes, you do um, the identity work. The, oh, this is one way I have seen of getting there is um, I guess meditating long enough in many different ways to mm -hmm. see, um, to recognize what is just a thought that I have been buying into as reality including a reality about my own self. And once you see something as a thought, you can't reattach back to it. Like if I say, you know, this is a greeting card, you know, and, and I see it's not actually, you know, suppose it was stuck to me before. Once I unstick it, 
I can carry it all day long. That could be my identity. I could say everybody, hey, I'm an artist. Hey, I'm a book author or whatever. But, but I have this space around me that I know it's not me. I can put it down at any time if I don't need it, if I don't want it. It, it was a beautiful visualization of, and it put everything so simply, you know. That's uh. oh, great. I, so I have an Instagram page, right? And sometimes I post these things. And one time I posted. I actually read, yeah, I actually read on one of your page, uh, Instagram page only, uh, oneness, uh, on oneness, you had written that uh, oneness shares, whereas ego borrows. Yeah. Yeah. That was a beautiful thought, actually. Thank you. Yeah, I've noticed that it's like, that's a simple distinction. If I'm trying to borrow from somebody a sense of self, right? Oh, I want this, you know, cute guy to notice me. Not talking about myself personally, just anybody. No. <laughs> if I, I want this, you know, this person to acknowledge my existence, right? For example, um, Am I borrowing or trying to borrow a sense of self from that, for example? Or am I in just happy and alive and somebody comes and like, oh, I want to share my time with this person. That's an expression of either oneness. It, you know what? You being in oneness. This is all pers through a personal lens, right? Or you being caught up in some anxiety about who you are that you need, you know, for example, mm -hmm. my fantasy person who is a Deepak Chopra just to write to me and say, hey, Anya, you're brilliant. Why don't, you know, like, <laughs> it's not happening right now. But as I'm listening to people in the world, I'm thinking, wow, you know, now I'm just thinking, wow, this is another person sharing. It used to be, oh, I want to be knighted by these people. Like, I want to, somebody who is more enlightened than me come and say, you are one of us. Come, you know, come join the club or whatever. That was a borrowing of sorts. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, oh, but as far as the realization, so I, this Instagram page, and sometimes I post stories on it. And one time I posted a story of running water. And uh, it was like glistening and I was washing dishes. And this, okay. this water sparkly and stuff. And so I, I did a video and I said, oh my God, like, look at this beautiful thing. I am literally, and, um, and I started getting messages, Anya, are you high? And I said, <laughs> I am not high, but actually this is a really good thing to talk about when you are in that state. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we fall into it accidentally almost like we are around an, an inspiring person that gives us permission for a second to put that burden down ah and we get into that place or we fall in love all all everything's forgiven you know in that moment everything is you know clean slate right um we get glimpses of the state but what i noticed i like literally started experiencing this in total waking consciousness one time i was standing in front of my stove and i was thinking oh my god look at this ecology i mean human beings made all of this and i'm thinking you know this happens in the most interesting ways right like unexpected <laughs> right. places exactly so, but that's it actually, actually happened to me once while i was uh, watching the milk boil and i have mentioned this in my book too that you know uh -huh. uh, I just i was just standing in front of the uh milk and you know it was as 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 it rose to the brim and you know the froth started accumulating and it rose up I was wondering, you know, what, what what beautiful thing this is. I mean, it's it's science. It is it is a beautiful sight to see, you know, and it's it's all science behind it. The molecules are interacting with each other, and how how beautifully they are, you know, uh, colliding with each other, and they are make they are converting a liquid into a gas. So it's it's it was a mesmerizing sight, and it I kind of spilled some milk too. <laughs> I love that. It's worth but it. But then, yes, that was that was a contemplative uh, moment, and where you know you you really enjoy seeing anything and everything around you. You 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 go very deep into it, and you really start uh, you know realizing the value of each and every particle in this universe. Yeah, 
And that's, you know, that's the state that is available to us, right? To all humans. And that's the state where the, the children, speaking back of the mm-hmm. children, they're kind of in it until, mm-hmm. until people start saying, you know, oh, you should be afraid. Or, you know, if you're different, like I had I coached a client, you know, she's brilliant, beautiful, everything. Yeah. Was not fitting her culture or didn't fit her culture and her family culture and her culture culture um, in, in ways. And, you know, when she got to 12 or so, she got sad and turned it off. And, but it's, it's underneath, it's, it's not a, that you turn it off, like access to it, but you just close the valve. A lot of things onto it, like there are life, life struggles, a lot of unimportant noise, what I call it. And because of them, you can't reach the gold, what is below there. So you exactly. have to dig very deep into that. But it's also, it's always below, right? It's always below. It's not, doesn't that go anywhere? This is why Buddhists say, oh, you know, it's the sun and, the, and then the clouds. Like the, and you know, there are, there are philosophies or there are schools of thought that actually go as um, deep as, acknowledging that all thought right that we think all thoughts have this nature to rise and subside doesn't matter what you're thinking mm-hmm. and there is a uh, one school of thought and this is where I came from when I became a life coach and it's called the three principles and very similar to Byron Katie too where they they talk about you know all experience personal experience coming from thought and they've noticed or or the person that originally originated the philosophy noticed that when the thought passes or leaves it does open this clarity and and this this beautiful unconditional well-being nature starts shining through so that actually is available to anyone even without the deep inner work hmm. it's just if you know if you know that that your personal thinking isn't reality. It's not hook, it's not making you, uh, you know, attached to anything in reality. It's not like your safety or your extra parachute or whatever. That, that your thinking, personal thinking, is just like a pale Polaroid picture of everything that's happening. And if I know this and I just stopped thinking for a little bit the mind does settle like in the morning and you know most people uh, super smart ones sometimes don't experience this because the brains are on overdrive but but the but most people and even and i'm joking about the intelligent dilemma but the intelligent people do have more issues with letting go of concepts and ideas but anyone you grab a hot stove right or an you get jolted out of the thinking you wake up in the morning and for a second you don't know who you are and there's this openness that's what's available technically you don't even have to do any inner work but what i've noticed and this is where i I said "Mm, this is great but we can go deeper if the 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 bowl of of your mind fills up again it is going to fill up with the contents that is reflective of your identity uh, and other things. For example, if you find a situation with um, some event threatening and you feel unsafe in the world or you feel like it's something you can't control and you have control issues, <laughs> oh my God. That's a that's anxiety right there. That's your that's your little recipe. Right? I know very well about that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so 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 this is where the inner work that you know I invite people into, and not only me, but you know everybody who goes that route. That's where it it is effective, not in clearing the mind. The mind can get clear on its own. Mm-hmm. It's first of all, it's what the bowl fills up with how much you hold on to it and not hold on to it. And then the, the coolest of all, I think it's this magic yeah. that 
if you want the reality to change the, that that you have to engage engage with it unsee your connection with it become transformed in that experience and you become the center of transformation and this is actually maybe this is a subject for another talk but this is where i see that the dilemma of spiritual people that get to that place of of, of like clarity and enlightenment and they don't want to have anything to do with the world that's going to upset this feeling. And it's hard for them to maintain oneness while being in the world. Yeah. Balance is destroyed there, right? It, because, because you're still in the two. You can only create oneness in a half of, the, of your personal universe. The other half of the personal universe is saying you know, look at the world we have created as humans collectively. And if you look at it, it will be upsetting. And if you're not identified with it, you can be with it while being in oneness without getting caught up in it. And you can make a difference. Um, and this is what I, what I mentioned might be a good subject for some other talk is that uh, thing that is very popular right now. People talk about um, spiritual bypassing. That's why people mm -hmm. are avoiding spirituality or consciousness because they're saying, well, we don't want to be so enlightened that we don't care that children are being stolen or I don't know, whatever problem they see, right? Not overlook it, right? And so there is a way to, to be completely at peace and have a full range of human emotions without losing that, con that, that connection. And the involvement. And the involvement. Yeah. And also knowing what the, wis the wisdom, having the wisdom to know when you should be involved and when your involvement isn't helping you, you know, at the moment, like it's not called for. And, um, and that's the difference between the activists, for example, that are so caught up in the idea of, defeating something outside of themselves as evil yeah. that it never stops and there's never other perspectives you know but if a person is committed to only one thing which is being in one thing then then they could be showing up as an activist every single day of their life but it's because every day that makes sense mm -hmm. and when it doesn't make sense you know Actually, it is uh, a form, I would, I would say that this is a form of short-sightedness because what, what, what uh, such people perceive uh, is this to be the purpose of their life, you know. This is what we call in Hindi as mo. So it's like, you know, uh, especially as you get older and your children start needing you less and less, that is when this more gets stronger and stronger. And you, you, believe, you want to be involved in their lives and you want to feel as important to them as you have always felt. You know, you're so used to feeling important in their lives, being, being an instrumental part of every decision that they take. So it's, it's, it's very difficult for some people to just let go of and, you know, detach themselves from the everyday events that are happening at family level or at, at any personal level. And they, they want to fully feel involved in everyone's life they are close to. Mm -hmm. That is going so from uh, the identity as well, right? The oneness and the identity, what you have, that's basically deciding your thoughts and actions. And it's pretty much similar. You know, you, you need some kind of balance to, to know your involvement what it will lead to, what will be the result if you do that, what will be the results. There are so many cries going on in the world right now. There is a war right yeah. in our border, actually. I'm right in Hungary, home mm. with the Ukrainian people. I, I go out and I can see them and it just hurts me to see that. Yeah. But it's what can us. I do? What can the involvement go, you know? Exactly. You can go and join the war. Would it make a difference? No, right. what can make a difference? You can raise your voice. You can help one of them or, or things like that just like helping the environment, you can do your part. Absolutely. And when you do your part, you have the identity of whole oneness that yeah. if everybody does their own parts, then actually you can make a difference. Exactly, right? exactly. 
I have an example that actually that that became really real for me about this. When we started getting, we don't have a lot of refugees here in New Orleans or in America because of the location and because of the policies, but people started coming in. And then I realized that personally, I actually with, with how connected I am and how many ideas I have and how I don't really stop at, oh, this is not possible. I can actually solve many problems for many people really fast. But, but it, 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 I also quickly realized that it doesn't matter how fast I could solve them or how many, it's just too much, right? It's too much. And then I started noticing my energy sort of going, you know, like being spread and not really focused. And because I was not being in oneness, I was not being in, in that state myself. And then um, I went a little bit, uh, not religious, I'm not religious, but I remembered this uh, fish and loaves story from the Bible when, I don't know if you guys know it, but like uh, the, Jesus is teaching to a bunch of people and then everybody's hungry and there's not enough food. And then the miracle is that everybody gets enough food. Um, and I had this insight that if I truly believe that I am one, right? I am the world and the person in front of me is the world. And I decide to fully help them. That's it, one person. And then that in that interaction, the transformation happens that will feed enough people, that will solve enough problems. But you have to enter that through the present moment and through awareness that there isn't 17,000 different people standing in line. There's just that one person in front of you, that one issue, that one joyful moment. And so I told Will, I said, I think I know how Jesus fed all those people. <laughs> it was one person at a time. <laughs> That's a beautiful one, actually. I don't, you know, this is, don't, you know, this is, I'm not going to write a book about this, but. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I think we can talk like 10 hours more. <laughs> we we have to we have to do another episode with you, Anya, because we, we can yeah. really go on and on. Let's do it. Yeah, Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So but uh actually before we close, I would like to really ask like people who are listening will be mind blown probably and will want to read your book. What else? What else they can find now? Where where can they reach you? Through Instagram, through your websites? coaching yeah, what do you do so i have a website uh, anyalincoln.com and it will have all the information about the upcoming webinars that i'm i'm planning to do more group work than personal work i do offer personal breakthrough sessions on case by case basis right now but i have a connection to uh so my partner will is a coach and he gets the identity work and he actually takes on clients regularly um and there would be might be more opportunities to work with me in the very near future. But right now I'm in this development stage. But if you go to my website, AnyaLincoln.com, you could uh, find links to my Instagram, which is also at Anya Lincoln. And the book is available on Amazon and on Audible and really on all the other platforms. Make sure you follow her on Instagram because she's pretty active and she has amazing insights right there. Oh, yes. Lovely posts. Thank you. Hannah, why don't you tell us the one okay. thing that struck you the most and close the episode? One? Okay, I think uh, there was not just one thing. There are too many things uh, that I'm going to take away from this episode. Of course, we discovered this uh, very, very beautiful, very, very amazing phrase called the wisest dilemma. Uh, <laughs> that you know, all three of us can really relate to. And uh, most of us who have had a, you know, moment of wisdom in our life ever would relate to that, that, uh, you know, it, it's it's so important to spread that wisdom. But at the same time, you know that it's just you who has to be worked on and no one else. So, um, I yeah, I, I really enjoyed this session. It was so enlightening to share and you know listen to both of yours experiences 
and thank you so much for joining us anya uh, thank you anya definitely want thank to have guys. yeah we would definitely want to have another episode with you because i am sure there's lot more to talk about and discuss absolutely i would love to be here as many times as you want to have me and also i'm very happy to connect with you um uh person not personally but with each one of you and um and ozan and uh hena and uh because i am very excited to find people who are thinking about the stuff who care about the stuff who see why this is important and it's um i think that's a really great stage of of being this kind of person on this journey of spirituality or just inquiry not necessarily just conscious thinking about consciousness is that you do a lot on your own but then when you finally see people who are like you it's like yay you know i'm not <laughs> yeah we are like that we are like <laughs> so pleasure so, pleasure to meet you anya and let's keep it that soon okay good deal uh, thank you very much and bye